Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. So let me ask you a question right off the bat. Are you a rut liver or are you a risk taker? Are you a rut liver or a risk taker? I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm one of those that I, lo- I like routine. Um, I married somebody who does not like routine. I married someone who doesn't leave the furniture the way it was always in the same places. And so um, we're always changing things up. And um, I, I, I married somebody who believes that walls were just suggestions. And she loves to, she, she doesn't look at a wall and go, uh, that's a barrier. She goes, that's an opportunity to tear it down. And, um, and I love that about my wife. I love that about life. And what I've learned and grown to appreciate is the, the, rut li- or the, the risk life, the, the risk-taking life, the, the faith-living life. And I agree with the, the gentleman on, in the video that we tend to kind of want to stay with the familiar. Have you ever said um, to yourself, we've never done it that way? before if you're a person who says we've never done it that way and you don't want to do it another way than the way you've always done it then you're probably a rut liver so kind of just look into your heart and say i'm probably one of those people who don't if if we've never done it that way and i like the way we've always done it then you're probably living in a rut but you can ask yourself do you have an iphone because if you have an iphone you're not a rut liver as you're on, um, <clears throat> if, you, if you continuously update your phone, you're on update number 15.3.1. And you've gone through a whole bunch of changes in your iPhone experience. Maybe you're a Windows user, and uh, you have a right to be wrong, but uh, maybe you're a Windows user, and you're on Windows 10, all the way from MS-DOS, and what used to be this crazy um, Commodore uh, that was Apple, but a com- you know, all the way back to Windows 1 and, and going through all those things that we used to experience in computers. What about smart TVs? They're smarter than we are. I have a hard time using our TVs sometimes. And we're going through all these changes. Uh, what about Google Home? Have you ever, uh, we don't have Google Home in our home, but we, my, my kids have it in their home. And I don't, I don't think their kids will ever understand what it means to flick a light switch on. All they do is say, Google, turn the lights on. And now they're saying, Google, turn the music on to 30%. My grandkids who are five or under are saying those things. And, um, and so they're talking to the, the home controls. It's pretty crazy, uh, the life that we live. And, and we're almost not able, even if we wanted to, live in a rut. But I think it's really dangerous to live in a rut. I think there's a place where we get where we're so comfortable, where we're willing to say, I'm willing to live in what many call a rut, a long, thin, narrow grave. A rut is sometimes defined as a long, thin, narrow grave. But if you like ruts, you would call it a safe place, a predictable place, and a comfortable place, wouldn't you? And so the challenge in this whole Why Not Us series is to, to get us to believe that why not us? 
Why can't we experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Why can't we experience a great revival in, in Ventura County? Why can't we be the ones who experience the, the, the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Why can't we be that? Because sometimes we make too many excuses. Well, we've never done it that way before. Well, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I like the way life is. Please don't move the furniture. You know, it's all those kinds of things, and we want everything the same. I, I'm a very, I, I like routine. I like to know where the toothbrush is going to be. I like to know where the toothpaste is going to be. I like all those kinds of things. But in reality, we have to understand that that might be just a little piece of our lives that we can keep as predictable, but God wants to, to live in a radical faith context. A place where we can see the power of the Holy Spirit move like never before. And I believe that's where you and I are being challenged to be today. And so living in a rut is really not an opportunity for us to, to approach, especially as people of faith. Because faith is everything but a rut. If it's the evidence of things unseen, then it's the, it's the things that we haven't seen yet that we're trying to achieve. That has to be a risk, not a comfort zone. And I believe what God is calling all of us to is the risk life, not the comfort life. Is to change our lives just enough to see him get the glory for anything that happens in our lives. I think that's really powerful. This statement has rocked my world. I don't know if I've said it to you before, but it's rocked my world and it hopefully will rock yours. If your peak is in your past, then you are done. If your peak is in your past, then you're done. You're on the downhill side. <laughs> There's nothing more to do. You've done it all. And I don't believe that for one minute. For individuals, for a church, for a corporation, for a business, if your peak is in your past, you're not looking to a next step. You're not looking to the next peak that God has for your faith and for your life. And you're probably living in a rut. Let me give you a test. <clears throat> if you're living in a rut, these are practices that rut livers live. Okay? You reminisce a lot. You look back. Remember those good old days? Remember those good old days? And you're not having any good todays? You're probably living in a rut. You're probably going back and forth, back in the same rut that you were, trying to grab a hold of something that was back there that you hope you could repeat today, when in reality, today has something new and different to enjoy. Or you like the highlights more than the present. If you're like me, I'm watching Seahawk highlights right now. I didn't enjoy the Super Bowl. He wasn't, they weren't there. But if you like highlights more than you like the present, you're probably a rut liver. If you're short-sighted, if you can't see a vision, if you can't see past next week into the week beyond, and you don't have a plan for the future, you might be living in a rut because you're just trying to maintain what you've got instead of trying to get further down the road. You enjoy Groundhog's Day. Reliving every day over and over and over again. Right? Groundhog's Day is, is, is a cool thing if you like, um, you know, rinse, lather, repeat. 
Rinse, lather, repeat. Rinse, rinse, you know, it's that way of using shampoo. You just keep repeating the process. Keep living the day, the same day, over and over again. You hang on to familiar and avoid anything new or progressive. You have more preferences, and that's for you flip phone people. If you have a flip phone, you're hanging on to the familiar. <laughs> you have more preferences. Listen to this one. You have more preferences than principles. If you care more about the way things happen than what happens, you might be a rut liver. And you might look at your life and go, I haven't moved since 1943. You know, my life is the same, or 1986, or 1995, or whatever that year is for you. You're, you're looking back and going, I, nothing's changed. You're, you're definitely a rut liver. No progress. Nothing's changed. You see, living a God-sized life, living a life that says, why not me, why not us, means that we must embrace growth that leaves nothing the same. If, you, if you're familiar with growth, then you're familiar with change. When, when you know, if, if you today, most, most, most everyone in here are adults, and don't nudge your neighbor if you, you think they're not, but... Um, most everybody here is an adult. And if you were um, doing everything that a one-year-old was doing, we'd kind of go, hmm. You haven't progressed. You haven't grown. There's no change that happened since that one-year experience. And we all expect change in growth. And that's what needs to happen in our lives. And so this morning's message is simply about this. It's, a, it's about helping us kind of evaluate, look inside, and go, why do I want to live a, a, a kind of a rut-centered life. Why do I want to keep repeating the past? Why do I want to keep doing the same thing over and over again? Why do I want to resist change? Why do I want to not go the next step or do the crazy thing that's never been done before? Have you heard this statement? We must, if you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. And that's powerful. That changes the game. That says, if I want what I've never had, I can't do the insanity thing, which means if you've heard the definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing over and over again, but expect different results. That doesn't work. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and want something different to happen. You have to do something new. Something exciting. Something that challenges you to get out of the rut and into a new phase of life that God wants us all to experience. I believe God is calling us to radical faith. I believe he's calling us to do something that we've not done before. In two or three weeks, I'll be, well, next week we'll be introducing 40 miles of prayer. I've never seen it done before. 40 miles of prayer. Every day for 40 days, walking a mile in our neighborhoods, praying for our neighborhoods. Praying for our, our, our and, and not only, not just praying, but keeping our eyes open for opportunity to minister to the needs of people. I'm so excited about this. I think it's going to be a game changer for our church. I really do believe that. So that's a teaser. Next week you'll get a few more details. <clears throat> In Numbers chapter 13, <clears throat> we find a story of the Israelites getting to uh, what is called the Desert of Paran. It's, it's, it's part of the 40-year the, the journey that they were on to get to the Promised Land. And it was, wasn't supposed to take 40 years. It didn't have to take 40 years. 
But it took 40 years because of the rebelliousness, because of the resistance to change, because of the, the, the desire to do their own thing rather than follow God's plan, all these kinds of things. And we find this, this moment when uh, Moses asked 12 of the leaders of Israel to walk into the promised land, Canaan, and go in there and evaluate the land. So these 12 guys went in there and they, they come back and they have a report. And this report goes like this. It's not on the screen. I didn't put it on the screen for you. I just want you to listen to it. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They reported to them and the, to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. I have a thing in my, in my office of uh, Joshua and Caleb, which are the two names of my uh, sons-in-laws, uh, Joshua and Caleb. And, uh, and, but I have this, this little um, figurine type thing that uh, has Joshua and Caleb and a pole in between them with this massive, massive vine of grapes on a bunch of grapes on it. And um, so they came back with the fruit of the land that they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is, the, here is its fruit. But the people who live there are... Um, by the way, anytime you see a but in Scripture, you want to ask what that but means. And I've always said I'm going to preach a, a series on, on the, called the but series. But um, <clears throat> a little awkward, but it would be powerful. Um, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The, Amal the, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we, cert we can certainly do it. So Caleb stands up and gives this bold statement. But the men who had gone with, up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they, said, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We, listen to that. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. They were seeing through the eyes of themselves, not through the eyes of God. These guys come back and there's this, this the, Joshua and Caleb full of hope, full of excitement, full of faith saying, we can take the land. And, and we don't care about how big those people are. Our God's bigger than they are. And yet these other 10 individuals say, oh, we're, we look like grasshoppers in our eyes and in their eyes too. We have to be careful that when we're called to do something that's out of our zone, that's out of our lane, that's out of our, our, our reach, that is beyond what we can think and, and believe for, we have to be careful that we don't get faithless and hopeless, but that we get full of faith. When there's a problem, when there's a circumstance, when there's a situation bigger than us, we have to look to the God-sized version of faith. We can't look at the me-sized version of faith. I, I would, I'll admit, I would have no problem joining the tent and going, oh yeah, we're small people, yeah, we don't have the skills, these guys are huge. It would be easy to join that crowd, but 
when you have a big God, you're, quite often you're going to be in the minority. Quite often you're going to, everybody's going to look and go, wow, that's a big problem, I don't know. But there's two at least that say, we can do this. Look what happens. In, verse, in chapter 14 of Numbers, it starts like this. It says, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. What? Or in this wilderness. They're, they're like, let's just die. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Or our wives and our children will be taken as plunder? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. These guys are the ultimate of rut livers. They're the ultimate of wanting to go back, wanting to go back to that place where they were familiar. And what was so good about Egypt that was better than this? At least this is an opportunity to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. But going back to Egypt simply meant that they would go back to slavery, that they would go back to bricks without, making bricks without straw, that they would be in, to, in total control um, to a king, to a pagan king. They were willing to go back to an enemy that they were more familiar with than to trust a God that they were unfamiliar with. And that's the problem. This is why we need to understand who God is. We need to understand that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, that he is omniscient, all-knowing, that he is omnipresent, ever-present. He's everywhere all the time. He knows what's going on, and he's all-powerful, and he's capable of accomplishing anything. That kind of belief, I asked my students at our university uh, when they write a paper on this, uh, th these three omnis, I asked them, so what's different about your life because you believe these three things? And most of them haven't even thought of it. Most of us, may in this room, have not even thought of the idea that those three things all by themselves, the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God, and the ever-present God should completely change our lives. Just that faith alone, just that understanding of who God is, let alone that he's an all-loving God, he's a gracious God, he's a forgiving God, he's a delivering God, he's a, a restoring God, he's an everything God. And the more we know about him, the bigger our faith and the bigger the challenge we're willing to face because he is bigger than any problem we will ever face. Yet these guys... <clears throat> Yet these guys want to go back to the familiar slave context. Why? Why? Because we're afraid of the future. We're afraid that it's bigger than we are. We're afraid of, of what we see and what we feel and what we... But the, the truth is we need a bigger view of God than we have right now. These faithless men plant seeds. And if you've ever been in a context like that, I've been in many, in different situations where people lose faith, they lose confidence, they lose trust. They, they, they've lost trust in man, but they've, they've forgotten that their trust should be in God, not in man. And then the, 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 the backbiting and all that other stuff happens, and it's, it gets really ugly, and it's no fun. And most of those people are rut livers because they don't want to take a chance. They just want everything to stay the same. They don't see that... 
Even challenge grows us. Adversity makes us stronger. Weakness becomes strength in God's eyes. When we humble ourselves and say, God, we need you, strength comes. Rut people live in fear of change or challenge. It scares them. Growth scares people. If we get big, what happens? We get strong. That's what happens. It's a fascinating thing that people who lose a lot of weight, anybody who loses like 50 or more pounds, quite often they go through this insecure period of not understanding what it means to live with less weight. And they don't know what that does. People treat them differently and they, they look at them differently and they, there's all these changes that happen. And so they, instead of enjoying the difference and the health, most importantly, that comes with that, they go right back to it. Verse 5 says this, Then Moses and Aaron fell down. Moses and Aaron are the leaders of the Israelites at the time. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, um, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. This is it right here. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. <laughs> you look at your neighborhood and you go, oh, I couldn't reach these people. Oh, I couldn't touch those lives. Oh, I can't get in influence that circumstance. Oh, I couldn't be a leader here. Oh, I couldn't do that. We have all these excuses. Why? Because we're rut livers. We're afraid. We live in this context and we want just the familiarity. Don't ask me to get out of my box, God, please. That box is a grave. It's a casket. And God wants us to live and live in the fullness. And, 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 and Joshua and Caleb are like, you guys need to be quiet and stop listening to these fatheads that don't have a clue what they're talking about. They're faithless. They're, they're hopeless. They don't see what, what God is, is capable of doing. And they, he says they're exceed, it's exceedingly good. And they warn. They said, do not rebel against the Lord. Don't, don't disobey him. When God says go and do something, go and do it. And then God's going to show up. We always want God to show up before we do the don't, go and do it. How does that work? Deeds don't precede faith. faith de deeds precede faith. They, they, we do it in faith, and then God shows up. That's a, a principle that you have to understand. If you want God to do something in your life, there has to be something you're doing for him. We don't earn our salvation, so make sure you cross that one off. We don't do something to earn salvation. But if we want God to move in our lives, then we have to do something in faith, and then God responds to that faith, and he blesses it. 
What he's saying here, what, Moses, what Joshua and Caleb are saying is, you guys, if you disobey, God's done. He's not moving. And there will be a result. We'll read about that in just a second. But if you want to see him move, don't rebel. Do what God wants us to do, which is go in and take the land of Canaan. And I don't care how big those guys are, they're going to fall hard. And we don't have time to read all the stories, but Jericho, the walls come tumbling down. Not because of picks and, and sledgehammers and bombs and all that, but because of instruments, worship. The Jericho walls fell. We're called to do something. I love what Aaron, or, uh, Moses and Aaron do. The first thing they do, they fall down. And they begin to pray. Can you imagine leading this entire group of the Israelites? It could have been as many as a million people. We don't, we're not quite sure how many were there. But we do know there were a whole lot of people, and they were ticked off at Moses and Aaron for leading them into the desert. And now Moses and Aaron are trying to lead them into the promised land where there's a whole bunch of giant people. And they're ticked. So what does Moses and Aaron do? Oh, you guys, I'm so sorry. Let's go back. No, they fall on their face and begin to pray. We as a church are praying. We are going to continue to pray. I'm excited about 40 miles of prayer because it's that that moves the hand of God along with our obedience. Joshua and Caleb stand up, men of faith, and stand up and correct the body and say, listen, God is with us. Let's not be afraid. God is with us. Their protection is gone. Our protection is under the covering of God. God responds to people who trust his call rather than fear the enemy. God desires to bless those who will stand on his promise rather than fear the size of the problem. Yeah, there are problems we have that are bigger, far bigger than we are. But let's stand on his promise that God is God omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere, omniscient. He knows it all. Let's stand on him. People of faith live God-sized lives because they trust God-sized promises. Verse 10 says, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. This is not California stoning. This is rocks. And the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all, all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? There's the value of the past. We don't live in the past, but we get value from it. That Remember what he has done so that we can live and move forward today. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> I will strike them down with the plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. So he make, God makes this promise to Moses and says, listen, these guys are worthless. Let's just destroy them and start over with you. That's how, tick, you don't want to make God mad. You don't want to get him in a grumpy mood. Because with the snap of his finger, he can go, okay, I'm done. You guys are a mess. You disobey me. You treat me with contempt. And then Moses does this. 
in verse 13. He says, Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptian, and he's like, he's like, okay, God, I get it, I get it, but let's walk it back a little bit. And he says, Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. What a bold prayer. What a crazy prayer. God, do you realize what kind of reputation you'll lose if you do what you're talking about? That's crazy. He appeals to God's love and compassion for all people. He wants his glory to be known in all the world. He's not just talking about the Israelites. And so that, that one, one of the most important parts of this is to understand that you and I are responsible to maintain the glory of the Lord. Not share the glory, but maintain our lives so that God's always getting the right attention. Our disobedience dishonors God. When the church is, is going well, the world loves the church. When the church is going bad, the church hates the church. And when we don't love people in our communities, when, we, when, the, when the communities know more about what we stand against than what we stand for, we're not glorifying the Lord. We're not maintaining the glory of the Lord. When the, the world thinks that we're more judgmental than we are loving and caring, we're doing something wrong. And what Moses is appealing to God for is simply this, is God, let's protect your glory. Let's protect your character, your nature, your love of people. And so he goes on to say in verse 17, now may the Lord's strength be, dis be displayed. Just as you have declared, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Moses does everything to say, God, I appeal to your love. I appeal to your graciousness. I appeal to the simple fact that what you truly want to do is love people. That's what a great leader does. Is he appeals to the nature of the Almighty God. And what ends up happening is that that group of people, that generation of people that rebelled against God, didn't enter into the promised land, but their children did. And the leadership of Joshua then, later on, takes them into the promised land and they conquer the land. There's all kinds of story and uh, drama and all those kinds of things that go into it that we don't have time to, to do. But the reality is when people want to go back to Egypt instead of into the promised land, they're just wanting to live in their rut. And my challenge to you today is maybe you're facing adversity Maybe you're facing something that's going, I don't want to change my life. I'd rather just stay in this comfort zone instead of risk losing my comfort. 
Instead of exercising faith in God, instead of putting my trust in Him, I want to stay where I'm at. Well, staying where you're at isn't obeying God. He wants us to move forward. He wants us to grow. He wants us to take risks in faith, in obedience to Him. And when we do, you cannot lose. You cannot lose. My wife and I have taken several steps of faith in our lifetimes. Um, <clears throat> maybe the, 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 one of the most difficult ones was to, to move here to Ventura. But we felt like the Lord said, just go, take care of your parents, and you'll never regret doing that. And so we did. We resigned our church up in Seattle and we're in a very comfortable place. And we moved here and we began taking care of our parents. I, uh, I've been in, in, in a ministry position in, in another church in town and then came here and had no idea that I'd be the lead pastor here. But I do believe that every step of obedience that we've taken has led us to this one. And I don't say that for any reason to puff myself up. It's all God. It's not Ricardo. It's all God. Everything that we've done, everything that we're doing, we're just hoping and praying and trusting that we're walking in his steps, in the steps of the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited because I believe that what, what that brings is blessing. When the Israelites entered into the promised land, they just saw God do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And I believe that is true with us as well. We're going to see the power of God move in our neighborhoods. We're going to see the power of God move in our own lives and in the hearts of every person in this room and outside of this room. And I'm just believing that. But we have to choose not to live in a rut. We can't go back to Egypt. We can't go back to the comfort zone. We can't go back to the, the place that wasn't pleasant, but at least there's, a, there's a, 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 an artist that said this in a song. He said, the reason we want to go back to the past is because we knew we made it through it. <laughs> no matter how ugly it was, at least we know how to deal with that problem and get through it rather than introduce new problems into our lives. That's not obedience, that's, that's fear. That's fear of the future, not, uh, not embracing the past. That's remembering the good old days, but not looking for the good new days. And I believe God is calling us to good new days. I believe he's got, calling us to God-sized faith to embrace change in our lives, to embrace change in our church, to embrace change in, in whatever it takes to do God's will and purpose for your life. Your peak is not in your past. You are not done. God is not finished with you yet. In developing you and using you. We have plenty of room to grow, all of us. And so let's embrace change. Let's embrace the opportunity to serve God with our whole heart. Let's not look back. Let's not keep playing the replays. Let's look forward and see what God has for us. We need pioneer faith. Faith that says we're going to reach in places that have not been reached. We're going to touch lives that have not heard the gospel. We are going to become men and women of God such that we will make a difference in this world. Amen.
So today, what do we do with this? What do we do with this message? We start praying. And we ask God to speak to our hearts. What do you want me to do, God, to be effective? Where do I need to grow? Where do I need to... And, and when you're growing, you're going to find out that most growing happens in the happening, not in the waiting. You're going to grow when you do it. Not when you're just, I'm not ready yet. I'm not fully prepared. Remember last week? We can't wait for the perfect moment. There is not one. It's just, let's get on our feet and go and do something. That's why this 40 miles of prayer is going to be far different than just praying. It's going to be looking, watching. There's a, there's a house that needs some repair. There's a, a, a child that needs attention. There's a, a parent that's struggling. There's an elderly person that needs some support. There's opportunities. As we walk in our neighborhoods, we're going to see these. And God's going to give us his eyes, not our eyes, to pray with. And I believe we're going to make a difference in our world. It's going to change our lives. It's going to change our, uh, the way we use our resources, our time, our energy, our, our treasure, whatever it is. It's going to change up everything. And I'm excited about that. Let's pray. God, I, I, I just ask on, on my behalf that you forgive me of the fear that I have at times when I see challenges, when I see uh, difficulties, when I see things that I don't know answers to, when I don't understand where you're leading us or guiding me or, or my life or my family or whatever the case may be, forgive me for that fear. It might be natural, Lord, but I want to be unnatural in my faith in you. I want everyone in this room to have an unnatural confidence in what we don't understand because you're leading us in that direction. Not because we're doing crazy things just to be crazy, but God, you have opportunities for us that are bigger than we are. You have desires to do things that we can't imagine. And Lord, it takes our faith in you to activate that, those things. And I pray that you just help us to be obedient. Lord, I pray that you speak clearly and loudly to your church today. Give us specifics, God, in reaching our communities for you. Give us specifics in touching our families' lives. Give us specifics in touching our neighbors' lives. Help us, God, to reach this community so that, Lord, those that don't know you will know you. That your glory will shine in this world. Lord, we don't want to see the world laugh at us. We want to see the world join us in worshiping you and praising you and giving you glory. So, Lord, I pray that you place us all in a place of risk, a place of faith, a place that we, Lord, will not just look for the comfortable or, or play the highlights, but, God, we will be in a new day, in a good new day, not good old days, but good new ones. And I thank you and I praise you for that. Lord, for that person that's sitting here right now just trembling in fear, knowing that you've called them and are guiding them in a direction, they're trembling in fear. I pray that you give them supernatural strength and confidence in you, the omnipotent, all-knowing, ever-present God. I pray, Lord, for those that are struggling in their relationships right now. Lord, may they see your ability to restore those relationships in Jesus' name. For those that are facing finances that, that are challenging, that seem impossible, God, I pray that you open a, a, a miraculous door. And I thank you for that, God. Be glorified today, I pray. 
And maybe you're here today and you're online or you're on site and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's time for you to make that step of faith. To say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the one who died on a cross for my sins. I believe that he was raised from the dead three days later and I commit to follow him for the rest of my life. If that's you and you want to make that commitment today, will you just say this prayer? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the things that I've done to disappoint you and to separate us from relationship. And I ask for your forgiveness today. And I accept your forgiveness today. And I believe that you were raised from the dead. And because of that, I believe that you are giving me eternal life right now. That I will live forever with you. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.